You thought I was dead. You wrote me off. But we're back. I took a week hiatus. Had some other stuff to work on. Life is great. Things are rolling. Ah, caroling's great. I've been crocheting animals. I opened an Etsy shop, you know, living the living the basic dream. We'll get into the interview super quick this week since I'm uh, running a little bit behind, but it is with the incomparable Warren Kelly. I think I'm using incomparable correctly there. Um, just talk about someone who lives with just such positive intent and the consummate artist and professional. And um, I felt so full after leaving our conversation, uh, like I do every week after I do this, because I love speaking with these people and getting to really dive into what makes these people tick. But um, especially so, talking to Warren, it was just uh, incredible to hear his story and uh, what he's been through and just creative and Make sure to follow us on all of our uh, social media accounts. It's all in the description. And um, uh, yeah, that's basically it this week. I want to get right to the interview because I have nothing else to talk about. Um, Enjoy, guys. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back. We took a week hiatus. We're back now. Welcome back to In Your Right Mind, a podcast for creatives. I will continue to say that every week. I don't know why. I'm here this week in what is arguably the most beautiful apartment I've ever seen um, in the heart of Manhattan with Mr. Warren Kelly, someone who I admire, someone who I've had the extreme pleasure of working with. Um, Warren, thank you for chatting with me today. You're so welcome. I'm so happy to be here with you. Oh my gosh. Warren and I met um, my first, uh, well, my first, I would say, truly, truly professional job outside of college, outside of summer stock, I guess, um, was working at Orlando Shakespeare Theater. And I was, we, I did the uh, repertory um, productions with Warren. We did To Kill a Mockingbird and Merry Wives of Windsor in rep. And um, talk about learning so much. Warren was playing both Atticus, which um, is a very minor role, um, <laughs> as well as um, the lead, the the lead gentleman, Mr. Ford, right? Yeah, yes, Mr. Master Ford. Ford, Master Ford, uh, Mr. Ford, Master Ford, uh, Master Ford in um, in Mary Wives of Windsor. Um, and we had great scenes to play. Oh, of course, you and I had great. Oh, scenes of course, to- we had that meaty scene at the end of. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, and then just, it was so much fun in Merry Wives. That was, like, my first real introduction into Shakespeare, too, uh, professionally, and just what an insane learning opportunity, because on paper, so, you don't realize just how, Merry Wives specifically, how much meat there is in, in that show, and just watching what you were able to do with it is incredible. Well, and it's incredible. such an ensemble piece, and... You know, you're you're part of a very, very big, wonderful machine when you're in a play like that. Um, that that's true for most Shakespeare plays, but particularly the comedies. And um, it was extraordinary to have a company of actors that were doing, 
you know, Merry Wives of Windsor in repertory with To Kill a Mockingbird, and we were all in both shows. And what I remember really specifically about the schedule for the rep is if we did Merry Wives of Windsor at the matinee, we played To Kill a Mockingbird yeah. at night and vice versa. Yeah. And the to watch how many people were in our company? 30-some people? 30-some yeah, right. people make that shift. And I mean, and they were both long shows, so it was what? You had an hour or two layover between yeah. productions? It was, it was arduous. It was, a, it was an experience where I call, where I say it, the job was really do the play and rest up for the play. Yeah, you, you, you learn. Um, it was my first real taste of the athleticism of performing. That's to, a really good word, because it, it does demand that kind of discipline. Yeah. It's, it is a craft and it it puts demands on your body and on your mind and on your psyche and you have to keep all of those things healthy and supple and ready to go and yeah yeah well needless to say i learned a lot and that's why i'm here this evening talking to him because i feel like he has so much knowledge to share warren you've been acting for a while now yeah. Um, five or six years, maybe. Yeah. Warren is only Warren is twenty nine years old. Uh huh. Forever. <laughs> twenty nine forever. Um, Warren, tell me just so we can have some context on who you are. Tell me about tell me about your upbringing. Tell me about where you come from and how did you get started on this path? Sure. Um, mine is, I think, similar to lots of people's. Uh, not everyone. Um, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, um, and I was going along through junior high school like any boy or most boys are, and I was playing sports. I really, really hated it, but it never occurred to me that I could do something else. This is what everybody did, and so that's what you did. And then in the ninth grade, I auditioned for the high school musical, and the I was really lucky because in my high school, the music department and the theater department were really, really great with great teachers. So being in the the musical was a very big deal. And yeah. it was Guys and Dolls. Of and I was a little ninth grader and I got the part of Harry the Horse, which is kind of a good part. And I was in rehearsal for two weeks. This sounds like so cliche and storybook, but it's really true. I was in rehearsal for two weeks and I was walking between classes, I remember it to this day, and I was so happy, and I thought, I'm gonna be an actor. And I was in the ninth grade, it was spring of my ninth grade year, and I decided I was gonna be an actor on that day, and I have never changed my mind, not for one day, since that day. I went, my father was a doctor, and I went home and announced that I was going to be an actor. He said, oh no, you're not. And I said, oh yes, I am. And that's the path that I've been on. So it started in the high school musical. And by the next year, I was, I'm sorry to use the word, the star of the high school musical. No, I was playing should. Harold Hill in, in The yes. Music Man and then I, Henry Higgins in My Fair Lady. It's a great show. And, uh, and, and anyway, the die was cast for me. And then I went on to undergraduate school, a small liberal arts school in California called the University of Pacific, uh, which had a wonderful small theater department, which then I became kind of the guy. So I got to do, you know, 40 or 50 plays. Yeah, kind of D a big fish, small yeah, pond scenario. Exactly. That's the best. Exactly. 
and um, but a wonderful little theater department which had its own summer stock so I was doing summer stock through them and um, got to actually tour in Europe wow. doing an evening of one acts through my college and so forth and then it was I was graduating and I was 22 and it was time to do the next thing and I'd always thought it would be New York mm-hmm. but I somehow knew and I'm telling you Michael I have no idea how I knew this I don't give myself any credit for this but I knew I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I, I knew it. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm really cute, and I can sing and dance and, you know, kind of act, I guess. I was in a lot of plays where I was acting. Um, but I was aware that I had no tools, not really. You had the raw talent. But well, not- I just, I was so conscious of the fact that if I instinctively got it, it was kind of great or at least in Stockton, California, Mm -hmm. it was considered kind of great. (laughs) But that if it wasn't good, I had no idea what to do about that. And the truth is, there was nobody at the University of the Pacific that could really teach acting. They had acting classes, and I certainly took them, but not really. I didn't know that per se, but I knew that I didn't know anything. So instead of going to New York, I auditioned for all the big actors. Talk about schools. incredible self-awareness and like Heinz well, like foresight. It, it, I, you know, and I don't know why I knew, but I knew. And it was, of course, really, really smart of me, as yeah. it turns out. And um, I auditioned. At that time, there was something called the League of Professional Schools. Now there's other venues that do the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the, the top 10 uh, training programs in the country had joined together and all that, all, all, the only purpose of that league, really, was that they were all at the same place at the same time for auditions. So in San Francisco, I could audition for a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Not at the same time. I had to apply for each one, and you went into the room separately. Of course. But anyway, it saves you from so, flying all over the yes, country. Yes, exactly. And um, I auditioned for six of the ten schools. My first choice uh, was Yale. At that time, Juilliard was not the school. Yale was the school. Okay. And Yale was my first choice, and I did not get in. Um, but I got into every other school I auditioned wow. for. And my next first choice, based on the audition, was Temple University. And that was the first acceptance I got. They actually sent us a telegram, if you can believe that, saying you're the first 10. You're in the first 10, the top 10 choice. And um, so I knew that was meant to be. And I spent three years in Philadelphia at Temple getting my MFA in acting. And it completely... Uh, I think created my career life. Um, I went there as a musical theater person who could kind of sing and dance and, you know, was funny and whatever. And um, after three years, became a very, very, very strong classical actor, particularly anything which we call style, anything yeah. English, Shaw and Coward and Wilde, and all of the contemporary British playwrights were incredibly right for me. And um, it set me on the path and right out of acting school I immediately got offers to go into the regional theater and that's where I've ended up making my life yeah. I had no plan or idea of what my career life would look like I didn't think oh I have to be in Broadway musicals or oh I have to you know have a, a resident position at some resident co- I, I didn't have any idea first of all I didn't know what acting careers really looked like anyway. I didn't know what the shape of them could be. And I ended up immediately, because I am 
innately because of my skill set that sounds uh, uh, again self-important but because of my skill set I'm a repertory person sort of at my core yeah um, and so where was that going to happen that was going to happen in the regional theater the regional market and um, and now I've been in 200 plays in regional wow. theater and it, it the reason I get to get to do it so much and work so much is because I go from a musical to a Shakespeare play to a contemporary play to an American classic to a British you took farce. and, it, and yeah. I, I happen to have the skills for all of those genres so I can go from genre to genre um, and where was that going to happen but in regional theater so yeah the, that's the only place that's you can do that yeah and, and, and if you want to do those plays in New York, and we'll probably get to this later, you know, now you have to be a name to get to do those, those plays yeah. in New York. And I'm not that. I am not, I am not that. So uh, regional theater your, is where I'm Your outlet to do it is yeah. you have to leave the city. Yeah, well, it's, you know... Unless you're Kate Blanchett. Or yeah, well, the, well the, the, the career, this business informs you. It lets you know where it needs you. You just start to audition and you start I to farm it around and it starts to tell you where, to where, where well, you, you see where you get hired. Yeah. Where, where you get the call. And um, that ends up being your, you know, your place. Your um, slot is a bad word. But, um, You're like your niche, yeah, kind of. Yeah. And I, I used to complain about that. Uh, you know, ha- having an, a niche or a niche, as they say, uh, also. I, I complained to a friend of mine who is a brilliant actress that I've played opposite several times and uh, who also has a wonderful career in regional theater. She's brilliant. And uh, her name is Susie Greenhill. She's fantastic. And I was complaining to her and saying, oh, you know, well, I, you know, that's my niche, regional theater. And she said, but Warren, you have to, you know, remember, you only get to niche if you work a lot, yeah, you don't get even up to niche, yeah, unless you've done it enough to, for it to be a niche, yeah. And uh, so I, I thought, well, that's absolutely true. That's anyway. So th- th- yeah. that's you know, I started out in high school. I got the training, and I always knew I would come to New York. And I came to New York right after Temple uh, University, and I liked it from day one. I loved New York from the. I thought I'm home not everybody feels that way a lot of people have to learn to love it some people never learn to love it it's not for them uh we we can talk about that but for me it was i thought i'm home Mm -hmm. everything about it i loved and i you know i certainly you know had struggles and you know had to do other jobs of course of course It's, it's not like it was all handed to me but in terms of an actor's life in new york that suited me from day one to a t from day one. Well, I mean, if there's anything that I mean I can grasp from from that, it's one. It speaks to the the benefits you personally received, and also just the the magic of taking the time and having the sense of self awareness to realize, in your case, where and I don't want to use the word shortcomings, but you're yeah. like I I don't know how to I have the skills, but I don't know how to utilize them. Right took the time to go back to school to learn how to do that, which enabled you to have this incredible career. And you also, I think, another amazing thing, and we talk about this, I talk about this every week, 
about the the limitations of dreams, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you weren't allowing yourself to be limited by this idea of, I have to be on Broadway. Right. I have to, um, if I'm not on Broadway, I'm not successful. Or right. if I'm not doing this, I'm not successful. You were, like you said, you found your place in this world and if it eventually leads to that wonderful but if it doesn't right. you don't you don't derive your sense of success and self-worth from something arbitrary like that if well that makes and sense. it's yes and it's very difficult in our business not to do that because people that are not in the business that's how they measure they mark they, they, it's how so they have you been success. on broadway oh, are you what you know I, I i've done a lot of television now so well I, you know, what shows? I watch TV, so what shows might I have seen you on? And if it's not something, if they haven't seen me, or and, and I haven't been on Broadway, then they don't know how to measure that. Yeah. They don't necessarily think, oh, well, you must be a failure then. But they don't have a way to measure yeah. it. Um, we have to be responsible for that for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, even your parents, it's a learning curve for them to understand what you're doing, why you're hanging in, what success looks like. You know, my early, right out of acting school, I did get some really good jobs. I had my, right out of acting school, I ended up doing a season of repertory in Maine at the theater at Monmouth, which was four classical plays in rep. I, I got my equity card being in Hamlet, Volpone, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, and As You Like It, in rep. I, had a, I was on a little house that I shared with two other guys on a lake in Maine. I thought... Everybody said this was going to be so fucking hard. This is not that hard. (laughs) You know, another job like that didn't come (laughs) along right away. But, um, you know, uh, it it was absolutely extraordinary. I made the mistake of telling my doctor father uh, what I was making. So here I felt hugely successful. And he said, well... That, that, you know, that's ba- no, you're barely making minimum wage. No, no, that, that's you know, you're you're my smart son. You got you, you can't be doing yeah. this. Yeah. So I, I, I did learn at 25 never to tell my father what I was making again. Yeah, and I, if he I've asked me, I said you're not you're not you're not allowed to ask. Dad. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. There's so so much we, to you know we, success has to be measured by self. Exactly. It just, just has to I mean, be. Even, it just has to be. Even me teaching my teaching, even I've my parents have slowly learned I've said I've taught them that even me getting a call back and not booking the job is a success in and of, of itself. Of course. And at first they're like, Oh, so you still didn't you didn't book the job though. So it, it right. you have to kind of condition people people who are outside of this industry, um you know what Meryl Streep says? What does she say? Meryl Streep says, success as an actor, success in this business is staying in it. Period. Wow. Staying in it. And I thought, well, there you go. From arguably yeah. the most successful, revered yeah. actor of on course. the planet currently. Yeah. Right? Um, That's so keep simple. and doing it. You keep doing it. You got the call back. The call didn't come. You're going to another audition tomorrow. Yeah. You're sending out your picture to online tomorrow. That's it. You know, a successful actor is somebody who um, lives a full life when they're not working. Yeah. You know, if you're, you're, you're an actor, whether you're in a play right now or not, you, Michael Sheehy, is, you are a wonderful actor, whether you're in a play today or not. Yeah. Right? And it's so I'm, it's I, easy I, to I, I closed in the play last week. I'm not in another play that I know about. 
for another seven weeks. Yeah. Right. So am I? So I'm an out of work actor. So does that mean I'm not successful? Right. Yeah. It's very interesting. We're we're um, my father, who was a doctor. I thought of this analogy all the time, and I ex- I, I explained it to him in a way that he that he could understand it. After he was retired, if he and I went to the theater together and an accident happened on stage and they stopped the show and said, is there a doctor in the house? My father could raise his hand. He was retired. Now, is there an actor in the house? Do you and I, who are not in a play right now, get to raise our hand? Well, fuck, yeah. Yeah. We do. We're actors. Yeah. You know, whether you're in a play or not. And it's just, it's, it's just, it, it takes a while to learn it because the rest of the world or a lot of the world says, oh, well, hmm, you're an aspiring actor. Yeah. No, no, no. You, Michael Shee, you're an actor. Yeah. I've seen you. You're really good. <laughs> you know, you're, you're a really good trained actor. So there you are. You're yeah. a success. You're here. You're doing it. You're auditioning. Staying in you it. Know, you know? Yeah. There's, there's, such, there's such a power to that. Yeah, absolutely. To, and it, it really comes down to just learning to... I mean, and it's so easy to get lost in, like, the, um, the wishy-washy feel-good stuff. But it really does come down to just, like, self-love and just... And self-care. Self-care. And yeah. just being, like, nobody's opinion of me determines my self-worth as... Or how I can see myself. Because someone's who, frankly, isn't a part of the industry in, or yeah. something, who has no context of what we do, someone's opinion of whether or not I'm successful or right. working or aspiring, it, it, it's inconsequential. Yeah. And that goes for any creative field. Absolutely. Or it, any field. Yeah, any, any field in general. Right. It's, it's incredible how much weight we give to other people's opinions when really it's... Well, it's hard because it's also an art form that only exists by being witnessed. Yeah. So, you know, uh, there's a there's a terrible yeah. expression. It's called, you're a critic for the price of a ticket. <laughs> you know? And um, it, it is, in fact, an art form that exists by being witnessed. Mm-hmm. You can act alone in your living room, but that art doesn't start to live until somebody else else sees it until somebody else sees it so that makes everybody in the audience it makes the people who uh, who watch actors on film on tv and theater and so forth and so on have an opinion about how they're doing yeah you know when somebody says how are you doing that's for you to say Mm -hmm. not for them to say you're right you know yeah but it's you know wow that's an ongoing uh that 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 uh, lesson is one we have to keep, you know, yeah, learning you over keep, and over yeah, you, again. You we got to work at that. You keep learning it every day, you yeah. know. So you you arrive to the city and you fall in love with New York. Um, just because I'm always interested when I talk to people um, who who have gone on to careers such as yourself. Um, how do you survive right away, um, and even over the course of your career when you're not on stage? Uh, financially. Oh, financially. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, at the beginning, I had a lot of roommates. Okay. So my rent was low. And key. every time we went out of town, I sublet my room. Smart. Which had a bed in it. <laughs> so I could sublet those little four walls. Yeah. So there was that. And, um, and then I found 
I, I did work in the restaurant field. I, um, I was the head waiter at the Copacabana. <laughs> wow. For 16 months. Um, it was a very fancy job. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't fancy in terms of pay, but you had to wear a tuxedo. And, okay. You know, it like was, fine I, dining. Yeah. It was, well, uh, they, had, they had incredible private parties in their downstairs space. And what I did, I was the head waiter for these big, splashy private parties. It was a riot. It, it was very glamorous, but, you know, behind the scenes, it was really scary. Yeah. And um, that was not for me. That I knew that it was not for me. And the minute I got a, another acting job, I could go back on unemployment after that. I couldn't be on unemployment after a waiting on tables job because you have to then, then you're a waiter. Um, but as soon as I was an actor again, um, and I made the decision that the next time when I need extra money, it's not going to be not that. That do. was not for me. Yeah. So what I, I was a good dancer, okay. and a choreographer. So my thing was, how can I use that skill? So I found a children's theater company and I started choreographing for them. And I suggested to them that they do after school classes, which I taught. And, um, so smart. And then I found my way into children's theater, really good ones, uh, equity ones. Yeah. So, with, you know, I, I, I got Keep in a get- van and went across, you know, the eastern seaboard playing Baby Bear in a musical of Goldilocks. <laughs> but I was happier. It's like a precursor doing, to theater work. Yes. Yes. And I ended up working for Theater Works USA. Okay, awesome. I did also. I played Charles Dickens for them in a, a beautiful piece called A Charles Dickens Christmas written by Doug Cohen, who's a brilliant composer. And, um, you know, and I, I'd been in New York for a decade when I was still doing that. Um, now, I was interspersed with that were fancier jobs. But when I didn't have them, I found for me, for me, the way to do it was to find something that was in my field. That was what made me happier. And to this day, now I coach. When I'm in town, I coach uh, auditioning to other actors. That's so smart. Um, but um, there are a lot of people for whom waiting on tables is first of all, it pays better than what I was doing. Um, its schedule is better in some ways for auditioning and so forth. But it didn't matter. What is important is that you find a way to be here so that you don't hate being here. You know, I say to people all the time, you know, you've got to build a life for yourself that is livable when you're not working. You know, if you're terribly unhappy and hate New York and hate auditioning when you're not working, it's this is not for you. Then it's not for you. You've got to build a life in New York or wherever you are uh, as an artist where you're feeling rich and fulfilled and driven yeah uh even when the phone is not ringing exactly it's and that's really it's not otherwise. so it's not so easy to find it takes a lot of work and everybody's going to have their hard days of course i have woken up many days of my life even in recent years where i've woken up in the morning and i think i failed at this still to yeah. this day because the brass ring, whatever the brass ring for me in that moment might be, you mm-hmm. know, because another close friend of mine is nominated for a Tony this year and whatever, you know, those yeah. things that are so petty and small. It's not that I'm not happy for them. Of course. I but am, it's, but, you it's know, human nature. Yeah, right. So that's the job is to find a way. So what I did is I found any area of the business 
where I could make the rent that was in the business. That's what I did from from the very beginning. And then as more and more acting jobs came, and as my quote, if you will, uh, got better and better, uh, you know, now I make my living as an actor. Yeah. uh, And have for a very long time. But um, my way to do it was to find something using my skill set. That's what I did, and it made and it made Smart. me very happy. Of course, and I felt like an artist. And you and yeah, exactly. You feel like an artist, and at least you feel like you're using your yeah creative. For me, that was juice important. Every day. That was important. Yeah, because oof, I feel yeah. So I want to get into um, when when you're working, kind of what is making. Uh, kind of what your process is and, and kind of what makes you tick. Okay. So you book a job. Right. You get the script. How Day one, how do you begin work on a production? All right. Um, As a performer. Uh, I learn it in advance uh, quite a long time ago now. That was considered very bad acting technique. You okay. don't learn it in advance because the idea was you were set with your choices. But as... Um, as economy changed and rehearsal periods got shorter um, more and more and I'm often hired to carry the play uh, so I have a lot of text um, there's not going to be enough time for me to get where I want to get so the first thing I do is just the words and I've got I built myself a skill set where I am able to study the text without making choices I'm I'm learning, but the first thing is just the words. Yeah. And in, by learning it before you go into rehearsal, you're, you're left with just the words. So there's an interesting examination that goes on. You think, well, why, why that word there? And, I'm, and I, I go back and I review a section and I can't seem to get that line or that word or that phrase. And that struggle ends up being informative. So the first thing is the words. And I spend a lot of time. I just did Sleuth. Schaffer is incredibly difficult. Andrew, which is the part that Olivier played in the film, um, the first film, um, is the length of Three Hamlets. It is so long. There is so much text. It's two hours of talking at a velocity that you cannot believe. Speeches after speeches after speeches for two hours. And it's elevated language. I spent nine weeks, about four hours a day, before I went into rehearsal, just on the words. All right. Then I get into rehearsal, and I have a very interesting first thing that I'm looking for. And, uh, and of course, I've studied with kind of everybody, right? I After I went to acting school, then I came to New York, and I studied with... Michael Howard and I studied at you know uh, uh, Uta Hagen Studios and I, I I've studied every place and with a lot of uh, of great teachers and you take the things some that things that that work for you I, I I have an expression that says we are an amalgam of every artist that we come in contact with certainly every teacher of course and you you know my technique is me having drawn from. Uh, stolen, <laughs> learned uh, from all these different sources and directors too. What I do is, and this sounds negative, um, but I look for what's wrong with him. What, and by that I mean, what does he need? What's lacking for this guy? For Atticus Finch, what's lacking? You know, he's this iconic almost angel-like figure in our 
yeah. culture and in dramatic literature and, and you know and, right, yeah. yeah exactly but of course how does he get to be that and of course you can't that's not playable right that's a quality we don't want to play a quality so what's lacking why why does he work so hard you know for Jim Robinson Tom mm-hmm. Robinson and why does he work for so hard for his community and for his children well first of all his wife is never mentioned but she's gone so something is terribly missing there right what does he need what does he not have and i it's where we it's where i find the humanity and since i'm a person who's been in therapy for a very long time and is very i'm a very you know i'm a fucked up guy but i'm very self-examined and that self-examination is what i apply to my characters what do they and of course they may not I don't think Atticus Finch goes to a therapist. He simply does yeah. not. He instinctively, <laughs> he instinctively, and he lives in a world where there wouldn't even that language doesn't even exist. Of course, but he instinctively try is trying to fix something. What is that? What is that that he needs to fix? And 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 I like to get selfish about it. You know. He's such a wonderful father, and he's such a wonderful lawyer, and he's such a wonderful community. It's it's not to be wonderful. Yeah. Because he needs it. I need it. I need it. So I examine what I, Atticus Finch, need to feel good. And so how hard I work, if that ends up seeming angelic, then I've done my job. Yeah. But how I get there is by moment to moment needing something and trying to get it and not get it or almost get it and try something else and that doesn't work so I try something else and then I'm now I'm, I'm starting to get it and I feel like I'm going to get there and then I lose it again and that's how I get to the moment to moment work so then and I explore that in rehearsal in terms of my own work in terms of the work with every other actor that I'm looking into the eyes of um and I'm asking for something, asking for something, asking for something, yearning for something, pleading for something, um, manipulating them to get something. It's not always oh so nice, yeah. but we need things as a human being. You know, moment to moment in our lives, we even, <gasps> you know, if we, if we don't draw oxygen in, we will expire. We have to have air. We have to have some kind of um, validation. We have to have some kind of uh, feeling of well-being. And where does that come from for me, Warren? And where does it come from for Atticus and for Master Ford? And for um, I play Truman Capote. Truman Capote is lacking a whole lot. Yeah. But when you get in the mind of Truman Capote and you start to really think about that little boy and what he needs... And what he wants so badly, it feeds you and it leads you to the moment-to-moment work. If you ask for what you want from your friend, you're asking for something. It's not just the quality of that. And then if it's a real-life character, I do research. Research is hard because most of it is not usable, but you will come up on some things. Some things. Oh, I'll share one about Truman Capote. It was okay. a really a great one. 
I read a huge biography. And of course, the play that I was doing was fiction. It was a two-character play by Will Stutz called The Gift. It was about Truman Capote and Harper Lee. It's a beautiful play about a real weekend that we know took place and um, where I... I, Truman Capote, went down and they were best friends. And, you know, in all the films, that's borne out, you know, the, mm-hmm. his relationship with her. I ask her, which we know actually happened, to come with me to Kansas to call the research for the book that became In Cold Blood. So what happened on that weekend? This is a play. We don't know it. Both of those people are gone now. We mm-hmm. don't know what happened on that weekend. But this is a play about that weekend, right? So there's a lot of asking and pleading and begging yeah. that goes on in this play. But there's that voice. There's that voice. And my, my, I'm not doing it when I did that just now. That's not an imitation of him. That's my version of his voice. But I thought, what is that? What is it when a grown man speaks that way? Well, he's Southern. Mm-hmm. He's a homosexual. He has an S problem, right? Okay, so those are we got That's those, a, yeah. we got those, and those can be informed. Yeah. But why about what about that talking like that? Yeah, where does that? What is that about? Well, I read something that is not the answer, but it gave it helped me. It gave you His something. Second grade teacher, when he first got the Pulitzer Prize. He was being interviewed on the radio, and his second grade teacher in Alabama was listening to an interview with her second grade student, who was now a famous person, um, being interviewed on the radio. And she said in the book, and he sounded exactly the same as he did in the second grade. And I thought, that's it. It's not being effeminate. It's not being southern. It's not the eth problem, or you know, or be even being a homosexual. He's that little boy, that little boy that was left on the side of the road by yeah. that mother. He's still that little boy. Yeah, never really grew up in that sense. He's and that gives that you something boy. to work and it with. Gave, and all of a sudden, I thought, there it is. Yeah, there it is. As opposed to just listening to him and listening to him and thinking, okay, why? Why would you still speak that way? Yeah. Now, I, I don't think he was... Th- th- that's not why he was speaking that of way. Of course. But for me, yeah. the actor, it was a way in. It doesn't have and to I, be the right thing. It just yeah. has to be the right thing for you. Yes. What is the, the my, my authentic mm-hmm. version of that? It, and uh, all I have to do is start doing the voice, and I start to feel all the things that he lacked. And he lacked a lot. It's a gateway for you. Yeah. Right. So the, that's a, that's a little bit of the the things that I use to 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 get to the work, and then the director of and course. the other actors. Yeah, just talk. first and foremost. Just I mean, hearing you speak about this, just talk about, and I mean, I feel like a lot of what you're saying is intensive work that the audience never sees, and it really just speaks to how much of a craft and a craftsman you are in this case or and, and any yes. good actor yes yes there is i mean no one watching knows this any production of that. Right. knows any of that right but you know when you go to a play or go to a film and a certain actor character really moves you i'll just bet you yeah some shit went on in finding that work and the audience doesn't know why it moves them, but it does. Yes. But it does, because something authentic and human is happening. And, you know, I don't always get there. We don't always get there. No. That's not possible. Um, 
I like to say it's art, not science. Yeah. So you know, we we don't. There's no equation that gets you to that place. But you bring all. You bring your tools, and you bring yourself. The biggest piece of it is if I am living Truman Capote's life, not something so far from me. His life was very, very different from mine. But there are a whole bunch of things about his life that I understand, that I came to understand, and. Those are the things you bring to the party. The other piece I will say is, and this is a standard acting class thing, which is looking at a character from the point of view of what do you have in common with them Mm -hmm. and what is very foreign to you. And start with the things that you have in common with him. And then when you get to the things that are foreign to you, that's where the homework starts. Yeah. Why would he make that choice? Why do I make that choice? And when you start to peel the onion and look at that, that's when you get to yeah. the richest work. And, yeah. that, and losing that sense of judgment about... Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I just did Sleuth, and he's a son of a bitch. Yeah. Andrew Wyke is a son of a bitch. But I, I understood what he was pissed about. Hmm? I was pissed off. Somebody else is stealing my wife and my sense of self, and that is not okay. And I know what that feels like. <laughs> not that particular scenario, but you know, you can, right? You can figure it out. So, you know, somebody's t- some taking dots. something from me that, that you know, that I'm not happy about. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's being a human being. Of course. Right? Wow. So, jumping ships a little. Yep. That, I mean, this has been so educational just for me, too. You, I mean, you're a prolific stage actor you've worked everywhere you can possibly think of i mean i was looking i was preparing for this last night and i was on uh warrenkelly.com and i was checking you out and i I was scrolling through your resume and you have to like scroll like 15 times it's so long (laughs) i was like god he's worked literally everywhere i better edit that resume (laughs) no it's well no it's great i would have it i would have it just as long as yours is if i could and um but just as long is the stuff you've done on screen for anyone in New York. But you learn how screen and film do run in relatively separate circles, right? Professionally, like it, they're two separate processes to get involved in them. Uh huh. How did you get involved in that? Well, I you know what happened was the good fortune for all of us that are New York actors is it came here. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be that you chose between New York and L.A. Those were the two main markets. And obviously, if you wanted to be a theater actor, you were going to go to New York. And if you wanted to be a film and television actor, you went to Los Angeles. I don't have the percentages right, but a very large percentage, like 40%, maybe more, of nighttime television is now shot in New York. Wow. Um, Maybe that percentage of the pilots are now shot in New York films started coming here more and more and it started with the law and order franchise yeah and they wanted to create a real new york environment with new york people and they kept hiring people from new york to go out to la and shoot this and all of a sudden you know and um so the work came here and if you were if you're a trained actor um all of a sudden they needed a lot of actors so I did what you had to do to meet those casting people. And I said to my agent, you know, see if you can get me in those rooms, even though I had no credits. 
And the very first time I auditioned for Law & Order, I managed to book it. Wow. Very first time. And it was two really good scenes. And, um, and then casting people in the television area started really responding to what I had to bring. The truth is the adjustment... Um, which is, you know, it's got to be smaller. And it's, it's, it, it, if you're a trained actor, it's not a big adjustment at all because the, the person you're reading with is as close to me as you are. And the camera is as close to me as you are sitting right so now. So if you're trained, you naturally... Well, I'm not going to be talking like this. You Common know, sense. You're, you're, you're right there, so I'm going to be talking to you like this. That's, that's kind of the only adjustment. You know, there are some little technical things that you learn and maybe not to move your, your hands so much, but none of those things really matter for most of the television shows that shoot in New York that want real people, that feel like real people. And a good actor can play a real person. Yeah. Now, you're very typed in television. For me... It's always white collar. In other words, it's a professor, a doctor, um, a lawyer, um, uh, a banker, uh, you know, a CEO. The, a very, here's a very interesting thing. Something about my quality as a human being, if, if it's a scene with five senators, the senator that I'm auditioning for is the, most, is the right to life most conservative senator. <laughs> really? I'm a married, gay, American. Needless to say, I am left, left, left in terms of politics, in terms of politics, yeah, right? That's But hilarious. that is not the quality that's I have. What... The quality I have. I'll actually tell you a very funny anecdote. When I was doing Blue Bloods, I was playing a banker, a very uptight banker. And uh, not a particularly nice guy. And has a problem with the New York police force. And... Uh, he and there, the the situation is there's a homeless person in the. Um, I watched this clip last night. Yes, right. So there, there, there's a homeless person in the what do you call it the the little like lot where the ATMs are like yeah the lobby right, yeah, yeah right something the, yeah, yeah. The, the ATM uh, lobby area yeah and um, I, I you know I have no patience for that I want him out it's my customers that don't like it so I call the police force and I, clearly I have a problem with the police because they're not doing their jobs and yeah. so forth I'm an uptight guy right. And um, I auditioned for it. They call it auditioning on tape. In other words, it was just me and the casting director. And so the director had only seen my tape. And then he cast me based on my tape. I had never met the director. When I got to set, I immediately... Sometimes you go to a rehearsal and you're in the room with the director and the other actors and you rehearse at first and then they send you off to hair and makeup. But in this particular case, it was a location downtown. Oh, actually, it was Brooklyn. And um, I went right to hair and makeup and they put me in the suit... And I looked very similar to the way I looked in the audition, like an uptight banker and um, with perfect hair. And, uh, and uh, That goes on set. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so and we went right to set and we did a couple of rehearsals. And uh, I said the director was right. It's not often very is not often in the same room with you when you're doing television. But in this case, he was. He was right there with us. And um, I said to him, I said, after a couple of takes, um, I said, you know, I could make him a little nicer. He said, no, 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 no. What you're doing is great. He said, you know, um, I, you know, think of him as a Republican. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry, Warren. Maybe you are a Republican. <laughs> I mean, I, I so much have that quality That's that he actually yeah. thought that maybe I really like, was, you were was kind of that, I'm kind of that guy. That's I'm kind hilarious. of that guy. 
And I said immediately, well, I, I immediately said to him, I'm a married gay American. I am not, <laughs> I'm, I, I am, I am not, not a, my people. I'm, I'm not actually a Republican, but they, I get the note. That's I, the I highest understand. compliment. Well, I, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, so television came to New York and, um, and I was right for it and I could do the work and I had good representation. You found your so, niche. You know, so I, you know, and my television and film career is, you know, I, I play um, what they call co-stars. I've had a couple of guest stars, one recurring. It's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a small No, but it's, career, a, it's just, a working actor's career. But it's really great. And, I, and, and, and they pay me really, really good money yeah. Yeah. to do it. So that's really that's nice. That's where the money is, you know? Yeah, that's, yeah it's very yeah, nice. That's I very bet. Nice. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, I remember uh, watching, um, I saw uh, Birdman, and I just remember, I, I, I knew you were in it before I started watching it, and it was just so exciting to see you. Well, it's, I, and, 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 you know, and it's just one, really, it's only kind of one moment, but I jump into frame yeah. with Mr. Michael Keaton, who is the sweetest guy, by the way, um, really great. And so you, you sort of can't miss me, even if you didn't yeah. know I was in the film. Yeah, you're like, Whoa, yeah, you're like Kelly. front and center. <laughs> I, 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 jump, I jump into frame in that moment. Anyway. <sighs> yeah, it's been wonderful to work in that field. Yeah. yeah it's been and wonderful it, to work it, in that it's field. It's amazing you found a balance with that in your theatrical life. And, yeah. And well, I imagine it gives you a sense of fulfillness. Well, of yes. Fullness. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and, and, and it, it, it uses another set of skills. You know, the scene is, it's two scenes and it's maybe ten lines each. And all of that work that I do as an actor in a play, I've got to do that work. So I, so I, so a real person shows up, yeah. because he comes out of the blue. But you know, television is so. Um, if you're doing the dramas, they want it to feel very, very real. That's not yeah. an actor. That's not an actor. So yeah. how do I get to what that real person is? It's the same work. It's yeah. not different work. It's the same work. I've got to do the work. Mm-hmm. It, it, it all goes back to the, yeah. the craft, you know. Yeah, and the discipline. You talked about this earlier, um, but I just want to ask you, um, you said you decided in high school that you wanted to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, has, since that moment, or maybe even before that moment, mm-hmm. has there ever been, it's a, it's a two-part question, a moment of doubt that what you were doing was the right thing, mm-hmm. and has there ever been anything else you you could for you could see yourself finding joy doing other than what you're doing right now. The answer to the second question is no. Okay, uh, it's absolutely. It's not. always been. It's right, always that, been that. There's such a power um, to that. Yeah. Um, I would have been a really, really good college professor. Yeah. Theater college professor. There's no question you about that. You had just that. gotten the more and, educational and, route. Uh, yeah, and um, you know I already had the degrees, and I'm a really good teacher, and I love teaching. But the idea of that being my life, not for you. Not an option for me. Not an option for me. I love teaching, and I even have taught master classes in the university setting and so forth. And, and I enjoy that enormously as an adjunct to my acting career. So the answer to that is no, which is really, a, it, it feels like a gift because it's always been so clear. Yeah. It's not been confusing. Oh, should I? And should I do this? And should I? I oh, and lost opportunity over here. And I just, that particular thing, I've, I, I don't have that at all. Um, doubt all the time. 
Yeah. How do you deal with that? The doubt is, am I good enough? Yeah. Am I good enough? And um, and that's hard. Um, you know, is the reason, you know, I'm friends with people that ha- are, are on the next rung, right? Yeah. I you're, came you're, up through the ranks with people that are on Broadway that have Tony, Tony nominations. And, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, so the has that not happened for me yet because I'm not good enough? And I think I think that goes with the territory, mm-hmm. Michael. But I also think that has to do with me. Yeah. That's m- my stuff. Um, I don't know that every actor feels that way. Um, but it can really come to get me in the night. And I have to constantly work on that. I have to stay in therapy, honestly. Yeah. Um, I don't go to therapy every week. But even if I'm in a really good period where I'm not feeling um, shaky, mm-hmm. uh, I'll go if I haven't gone in a while just to check in, to be mindful of those things. Because of the events of my life, and we can talk about that if you want, um, I have anxiety issues uh, that come up. Now, I'm a very high-functioning person who navigates that and negotiates that, and um, through self-care and hard work, I live a full life with that. But at times, that can really come to get me, and that goes hand-in-hand with uh, self-worth, that goes hand-in-hand with the am I good enough. You know, I can have very dark moments about that and have had many. So doubt about my ability and even my <laughs> my mental health, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Doubts about, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? None. So no matter, hey. even at, at its most painful, the option is not to do something else. Yeah. It's how to get better doing this. And by better, I mean more well-being. Yeah. I don't mean better at it. Of I'm course. always trying to get better at it. Yeah, that goes that, 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 that We're always studying. We're hopefully growing. We're hopefully deepening. That That's ongoing. Um, how do you get better at accepting Yeah, and how do I happening? get back, you know, and some of it's, you know, pretty spiritual. Whatever your spiritual yeah. belief is, you know, um, if I'm really feeling like, oh, why not me? I, I think a whole lot of people, including you, my friend sitting across from me, would have every right to say, you know, fuck you, pretty ungrateful. Yeah. I would kill for that. Yeah. And that's really it's true. It's about perspective. It's about perspective and it's about appreciation and it's about there's some self-love issues in there and, you know, do I deserve to be happy and do I, uh, do I deserve the career I have? I do feel strongly that wanting the next thing is fire, is a good thing. Yeah. I think it is some of our, I don't want to say that it's a self-indulgence or that it's masturbatory in some way, but I do think I'm, I'm pretty competitive guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, um, not like. Oh, you know, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't go to shows and think, oh, I would be better. I do not do that. It's not that. But when I'm getting ready for an audition, when I'm getting ready to go to work, when I go to work, 
I want to be my best. Yeah. I want it. To, I want to be kick ass. I want to kick ass. Yeah. I want to. And if I'm not kicking ass, I'm going to work on it. Yeah. I'm going to work on it. So I do think that is creative energy. Oh, I would. I 100% you know? agree. But it's a balancing act. Yeah. It's a balancing act. Not letting that consume you, but well, letting the, it drive you. Know, you. The, well, yes. Right. Because then you... You're you become angry. obsessed with well, the Well, then result. you're angry about what you don't have. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and I don't want to live in that place. Yeah. I, I, I want to think, I, you know, I, I, I want that. I, I want that. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, I don't get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want that. And that doesn't phone, that phone call doesn't come. Yeah. That is part of it. In there. And, um, and that can be really disappointing and sometimes can give you, to your question, doubt. Yeah. Can sometimes give you doubt. Um, I, actually, I just had one uh, yesterday where I didn't get a call back for something that I'm very, very right for. Um, and the guy before me did because it, it was obvious the way that it was going. And, uh, and I know him. Not well, but he and I go up for a lot of the same things and so forth. And I was like, well, what the fuck? And was it what I did in the room? And then re-examining what I did in the room. And of course, there's all kinds of reasons. Yeah. There are all sorts of reasons. Some out of your control. Uh, Many. Many. Yeah. Many. Um, But still... You know, I did a little number yeah. on myself. Yeah, about it. you, Thought, you, you know, play that I game. I made the wrong, the wrong choices, and I t- took in this and that and into the room. and You oh. read into things yeah, that right. no one else is reading into. Yeah, yeah. I did a little number on myself. Yeah, we all play that. that game. I'm feeling better now. Yeah, if you, if you had the chance, um, it's kind of a cliche question, but I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot to be learned from it. If you had the chance to speak to 22-year-old you, what would you say to yourself, knowing what you know now? Some things to uh, advise, things to avoid, things, um, things to not get caught up in. Well, uh, let's make it the 26-year-old me. 20, that's, yeah, the year, that's, that's the year that I got to New York. Out of Temple, yes. Okay. Right? Let's do 26. Oh, boy, it's hard. I would say... Be nicer. I would say be nicer. I, I wasn't mean to people, but I was... I, I could have been nicer to myself. And I could have been kinder. Let's use the word gentle. A little... I was running so fast. I was... I, I went to every audition. I went to every every open mic I, to sing. I... I you, you know, you couldn't flag me down. And um, I think I created a manic component to my personality, which became a problem later in other ways. Slow down, enjoy it more, enjoy New York more. I, I was, I loved it, but I was on fire. I had to be doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. And I think I got in my own way, and um, I could have smelled the flowers more. I relate to this on a level you don't even know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we, it it's so easy, especially, because um, I mean, I'm kind of in the heart of that. I mean, I've been here for two and a half years now. Um, I think two and a half. But even now, the sense of like, guilt I feel for like not going to that audition right. or 
um, not going to that cabaret or not doing that. Um, it's astounding and learning how to be gentle with myself yeah. and, and, and a phrase you used earlier, being, be nicer to myself. Yes. Yeah. It, it's an ongoing thing that I'm still trying to learn and to, I, sometimes I find myself, I went on a run yesterday in Central Park and it was, uh, I ran, I ran the marathon route through just the Central Park Park because I'm, uh-huh. I'm not about to run the New York City Marathon. But I was astounded at just how much of Central Park I hadn't seen. Mm. And I've been here for two and a half years. And I was like, Michael, you, it is, you are living in, arguably, the center of the universe. Yeah. In, in the United States and, yep. in a sense, the world. Yeah. In a sense. And it is okay to take a step back and to look around at how amazing this place and your life and your experiences and the and, people that and the people uh, I've you're met in and loved yes, and, yeah, right. and continue to love and right. and know and in the grand scheme of things because I because we're talking about auditions the fact that I did not go to an open call for a regional production of cabaret or whatever show someone's doing in the grand scheme of my life is so inconsequential. Yep. And I was just, I was struck by the beauty of Central Park yesterday. I was like, this is incredible. And why did it take me so long to see this? Yeah. And I think that's speaking to what you're speaking about. Yeah, because you think you can't afford the time. Yeah. Then then you're not trying. I'm here to work. You're not working hard enough. You're not doing enough. And... Uh, the the other thing I would say now that we're talking about it, um, and yes, I think I was exactly in the same place. M- one of my roommates would always go to take a blanket and, and le- loved to lay out in Central Park, and I never went to lay out in Central mm-hmm. Park. So that I just relate to that. But I also had tremendous shame, uh, shame about not having an agent yet, shame about not having the career yet. And of course, I, that shame was shame that I had been raised on because I was gay. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that was not okay in uh, my world. So I would really tell that 26-year-old, you have nothing to be ashamed of. I'd really tell that 26-year-old, you have nothing to be ashamed of. There is nothing to be ashamed of. And um, I had lots of shame. And, then, and that got hugely, hugely worse before it got better. Hugely worse. Like fifteen years of worse, yeah. Before that, I think better. we spoke about that briefly when yeah. we were in Orlando. Yeah. But to to come out of your experiences, yeah, um, is incredible. And yeah, and you know, uh, I the the coming out part, and I do think um, my own personal belief system it's very strong about um, being out of the closet. I think that's incredibly important. Um, for everyone and for the world and for our community and for our greater community and coming out about everything, whatever the thing is, you know, but certainly uh, about sexuality, you know, (laughs) I, you know, I play straight people 98% of the time. I can't walk up. Not every role is true, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, 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 uh, I walk up ninth Avenue and I, I can't go a block with a thing. Oh, she, well, she played my wife in something. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but 
I, I think it's incredibly important that we are our authentic selves and that we're not hiding that. And um, then, and as I have shared with you, I went, I'm a health crisis survivor, so I lost everybody. I had a whole decade of that. So the thing about the health crisis, my lover died and my best friend died and, and, and um, his lover, and uh, I was wiped out. I was the only one left standing. And um, what happened was that, that shame that I had was somehow validated by C. And of course, that's what the conservative world then chose to latch on to. Yeah. C, that's what will happen to you. That's what will happen to you. So I had to, I internalized that, of course, as anybody would. But that's, what, that's what survivor guilt yeah. is. Um, so then that got, that insidiously became a part of my DNA. Well, it is a part of my DNA. Of course, but, and it's, com- it's compounded by. But, you so know, if you're much. told from a, 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 a very young age, don't be that. And if you are going to be that, don't let us see it. And then that thing is the thing that's killing everybody, everybody. around you. And maybe you too. I can't even imagine. You know, so um, that's why being out is so important. Um, and, you know, we could do a whole podcast on just that. <laughs> but but t- leading it back to the art. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's please. just not it's just not separate from the art. Yeah. It's not separate from, you know, why does Atticus Finch want to fix the world? When I wrote in my journal at my dressing table, I very often wrote about AIDS. AIDS has nothing to do with To Kill a Mockingbird, but racism is a poison. Yeah. It's, a, it's a pervasive poison that kills people. It kills Tom Robinson. Yeah. You know, how do you stop it? And how was, you stop that was your it? in. That was my in. And, you know, nobody would know that no, I was using AIDS. Nobody watching. As, yeah, right. You know, it, it had nothing to do with what you saw when you yeah. saw me play Atticus Finch. Of course. And the, the other actors on stage don't even know that. I never right. knew that. Yeah. Walking, yeah. I did not know that until you told me just now. Yeah. And But that was my but way. to see what know, it was capable of yeah, doing for your performance. How badly do you want to try to stop something that is unstoppable? And racism. Yeah. It's you know, we're, we're, it's, it's a poison. Yeah. And it it's, kills people. It kills people. Uh, I mean, kills people. Just, uh, kills people. Yeah. So you know, if you if 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 it becomes your obsession to try to stop it, what does that look like in me? What does it look like in Warren? Anyway, that's back to the work, the process. That's incredible. I have two more questions for okay. you. Okay. Um, one is very lighthearted. Uh, I, I the other one's relatively lighthearted. I want to know because I've, I've started saying it um, kind of off the cuff because I love it. Uh, I just want to know where love and art comes from. You say it all the time on like Facebook. That's how you sign off on yes, things. Yeah. Where does where did you find that? Is that well, your I, mantra? I, I made it up myself. I love it. I, I, just I say decided, it all the time now. Well, it, it came with social media. Okay. Um, I think. Um, and we could do a podcast on that too, but you know the you thing about, so, about, about social <laughs> yeah about uh, social media. I love it that you're doing this. By the way, I think it's really important. I think it's really cool. Thank I, you. Just as you know, you have each of us gets to decide what our online presence is. Mm-hmm. Right? You 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 are totally in control of that, but it's a presence. It has a life, and it's there. Forever, You can delete something, but a lot of people already saw it. Yeah. Right? So that those are the two things that I'm going to write about online. The work, other people's work, 
um, congratulating them on an opening night, sharing my opening night. I don't feel that self-congratulatory. I said, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm yeah. doing. And, you know, when I post something, I'm working at a theater, I get 30 or 40 comes. Oh, you're playing opposite so-and-so. We're a community. Yeah. That community is filled with love of this thing. So it's the art, which is the work, and love. You got a birthday. You got engaged. I weighed in on that. Yeah. That was so fantastic. The, oh, my friend Michael. She, oh, yeah. What a positive. Yeah, all, all the love. So a new baby, a, a death, and the, the love and the missing of somebody, yeah. and posting about that and saying, I'm so sorry you lost your dad, and so forth and so on, and I relate and just know that we're thinking of you, and even love about terrible things that are happening in our world and just saying yeah. something. We need more. Yeah. We so need those more are the that. two things that I post about online. So that's my moniker about my online presence. I love I that. don't I just don't do politics online. Smart. My, I have a brother who is who I love, who I'm very close to, who is very, very conservative politically. Yeah. Right? He's Everyone a has he's one. a published author. I love him. I don't even like his page, which is, seems very small of me as a brother. I love my brother. He's a fantastic, wonderful person. But because of his politics, that was part of the, the, the thing about that. Yeah. You know, once you start opening the, the, the door to politics, it can go on and on. Opens I a just, lot more. I just choose not to. I have very strong feelings, political. Some of them came out just now. Um, uh, and uh, I, I certainly, my socio-political bent is very clear and um, very out there. I don't do it on social media. On social media, I write about it's things love about the love about love and art. That's what I write on social media. That's what I use it for. And I do think Facebook is an amazing tool. Not tool. It's a, it's an amazing thing for us in our field because it keeps us a community. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know what play you're doing. Maybe. Of course, we'd be yeah. out of touch. We would lose then, touch so much quicker. Yes, and but then all of a sudden. You're doing a play, and the next time you're doing a play, you're going to be in that play with people that I know and yeah. love. And I'm saying, oh, my God, you're playing opposite. Mm-hmm. And she played my daughter in, and please hug we her We were doing me. that before the interview even started. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's incredible about social media. I think that's a really wonderful thing. So, you know, that's what I write about. So that's where Love and Art love comes and from. Love and Art. Love and art. I love it. That's what that, that will definitely be the title of this episode. Yeah. The last question I have is very silly. Um, before I was, but I promised I would ask. Um, bef- last night I was asking uh, my fiance, Abby, um, what I should ask you. And she always comes up with, um, and I don't think she'll mind me saying this, um, the silliest questions. Okay. But she, her very important question was, um, Thanksgiving's coming up. Um, what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? What's your go-to? Oh, I really like... This is the hard-hitting journalism of yeah, this podcast. Yeah, it's tough. I, mine is, is what a lot of people... I really like the sweet potatoes with marshmallows on them. I do, too. I, I really, do, too. And it's something I've learned to like growing up. I did not like them so much as a child. Yeah. Um, and it turns out sweet potatoes are really good for you. I, and marshmallows are just empty sugar. I don't think oh, they're yeah. terrible for yeah, you. But I mean, I, if, who's worried about empty sugars on Thanksgiving? You know? Yeah, that's right. I'm also a big fan of the, um, the uh, because I feel like sharing my favorite. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, um, the, the cranberry juice. Not cranberry juice. Uh, the cranberry. Yeah, right. But it has to be from a can. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like the actual 
cranberry sauce is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. I don't like the fresh cranberry sauce. It has to be in the shape of a can. You like, like that, it, that congealed? Yeah, the congealed, like, like. But do you like it when it has the berries in it? You don't even no, want that. No, I don't no, no. want that. I want whatever. It's probably not even, there's probably 0% cranberry in it. <laughs> um, it. It literally has the indents of the can. It's cranberry jello. Yeah, cranberry, it's cranberry jello. jello. It's basically cranberry candy almost. Um, but that's my go-to. Um, but I just wanted to end on a lighthearted note. Thank you, Warren, so much. You're so welcome. For chatting with me tonight. And um, I'm so excited. It's been too long since I've gotten the chance to see you. Yeah. So um, awesome. I just loved it. Loved it. Thank you for having me. Love and art, folks. Love and art.